Salo Falava, this is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. Coming up. There have been small protests by independence activists. The French president is halfway through his historic trip around the Pacific. Also. It is the highest level visit we have received. The US Secretary of State stops by in Tonga. And later, a former refugee seeks a royal commission into Australia's handling of asylum seekers. Thousands of people gathered for a speech by French President Emmanuel Macron during his final hours in Noumea. Macron is halfway through his historic five-day trip in the Pacific and has already made some major announcements. Alicia Fu spoke to Islands Business correspondent Nick McLellan, who's been covering the presidential visits from New Caledonia. Macron will spend Thursday in Vanuatu before a visit in Papua New Guinea. The French president talked about uh, two interconnected ways to move forward. He talked about a path of apology and a path of the future. Apology, obviously recognising colonial history, wanting to talk about um, an investigation, a commission to look at the history of Les Evénements, the armed clashes of the 1980s, and how that affected people. But his main theme was to promote an ambitious uh, statute for New Caledonia. He said very clearly that after three referendums between 2018 and 2021, um, all of which voted no, um, despite concerns from the independence movement about the validity of the last referendum, he said that New Caledonia is French because it has chosen to remain French. Um, the tone of his speech was very much wanting to push ahead with major reforms on a timetable that's uh, already been announced, aiming to reform uh, the constitution, the French constitution, in the new year um, to bring an end to the Namir Accord, which has governed New Caledonia for the last 25 years. There were rallies that were expected as well. So what happened there? Around the country over the last 48 hours, there have been small um, protests by independence activists, but they've been very marginal. Indeed, the, the main body of the independence movement has been very quiet, um, has been standing back to watch uh, what President Macron was putting on the table, particularly in uh, a meeting this morning that was held with political leaders from across the political spectrum and in the speech. Uh, in the main square of Namia, the Place Cocotier. Some independence leaders, particularly from the Union Caledonian Party, the largest pro-independence party, didn't turn up to the political meeting. And during his speech, Macron threw out a challenge to them, um, basically saying that the French state would forge ahead with a process to introduce a new political statute for New Caledonia, replacing the Namir Accord, the framework agreement that's lasted for past decades. He talked about the reform of political institutions. A major step, which won large applause from the crowd, was to unfreeze the electoral rolls for the looming provincial and uh, congressional elections to be held in May next year. That will allow thousands more French nationals to vote than are currently able under, under the Namir Accord. And he uh, basically said that he would be moving ahead to review the constitution in early 2024. The Namir um, Accord is entrenched in its own um, clauses of the French constitution. There needs to be a major constitutional change. Um, he suggested he was going to move forward pretty strongly on that. President Macron stressed very much that he uh, saw New Caledonia as a Pacific power. And indeed, he said that France is an Indo-Pacific power through New Caledonia. Um, 
he talked about uh, the future role of uh, of the French dependency um, around two key areas. The first was about rebuilding the economic and social models of New Caledonia, addressing inequality, uh, particularly for poor people from the Kanaka Malaysian community, questions of employment. Uh, a major section of the speech focused on the nickel industry um, and the need to solve the energy crisis that powered uh, nickel, improve productivity in this key sector. But he also focused very much on defence and military issues in the context of uh, um, growing US-China conflict within the region. Um, he pledged uh, significant uh, increases to the armed forces uh, of New Caledonia, um, the uh, French army based in New Caledonia, including the deployment of 200 more troops and uh, increased funding uh, for the uh, armed forces of New Caledonia, the French forces deployed there of some 18 billion uh, French Pacific francs. That's about 270 million New Zealand dollars. Um, he also talked about creating a Pacific Defence Academy in New Caledonia that would be uh, a place to train uh, troops uh, and uh, police forces from around the region. Now, Australia already has one of those academies, so it's interesting that uh, France is proposing to do the same thing at a time of uh, growing uh, debate about Chinese influence in the region. U.S. Secretary of State Anthony Blinken is in Tonga for bilateral talks. The visit is the first stop for Mr Blinken, who will also visit New Zealand and Australia. Fina Fonua has more. During a joint press conference in Nukualofa soon after landing in Tonga, both U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken and Prime Minister Huakawa Meiliku reiterated the growing relations between their countries in a joint presser. The U.S. efforts to demonstrate its commitment to the Pacific has been seen through the opening of an embassy in Tonga in May this year and a pledge by President Biden last year to invest 800 million US dollars in development aid towards Pacific Island nations. Prime Minister Huakawa Meiliku told journalists the visit represents a renewed effort by the United States to build its bilateral relationship with Tonga. The visit today by Secretary Blinken is historic. It is the first visit by a sitting US Secretary of State to Tonga. It is the highest level visit we have received from the United States government in our recent history. It is a clear indication to us of the desire and commitment by the United States of America to strengthen relations between our two countries. The United States and the Kingdom of Tonga enjoy a long-standing and enduring partnership. The white elephant in the room, China, was never mentioned in their opening addresses. But local media pressed Blinken on popular speculation that the U.S. commitment was motivated to counter China's growing influence in the Pacific region. Blinken said China's influence was concerning. Blinken added the U.S. already had a strong presence in the Pacific region and that building a future in the Pacific was essential. The simple reality is this. We're a Pacific nation. It's something that President Biden feels very strongly, and it's been very consistent in his own approach even before he was, he was president. And we very much see the future in the Indo-Pacific uh, region writ large. Our intense focus is on how can we be the best and strongest partners in terms of being responsive to the needs of people throughout the Pacific Islands. 
Blinken's next stop is New Zealand. A former refugee wants a royal commission into Australia's handling of offshore processing practices. It follows what's been labelled as explosive allegations of systemic misuse of taxpayer funds in offshore detention reported by the Sydney Morning Herald. This, off the back of revelations the Morrison government made a secret deal with the Papua New Guinea government to hold about 75 refugees and asylum seekers in Port Moresby. Asylum Seeker Resource Centre's advocacy manager and former refugee, Augie Simic, spoke to Lydia Lewis following the revelations. Well, it's, it's been an absolute scandal. Um, last week marked 10 years since politicians in Australia sent over 3,000 women, men, and children to brutal offshore processing detention centres. Uh, on Friday, we learned the Morrison government paid the Papua New Guinea government to hold the last refugees trapped there in a secret deal that the public is not allowed to know anything about. And this is after years um, saying um, that uh, Australia has no ongoing relationship with the Papua New Guinea government. And then over the weekend, um, we saw even more explosive allegations of bribery and systemic misuse of taxpayer funds in offshore detention contracts. Um, allegations that millions of dollars in detention money went to Pacific politicians. And let's go back to the first the first story that broke. I mean, this is something that has been bubbling for a while. It's been something simmering under the surface that people thought may be a possibility. But now this document in New Zealand, we call it an Official Information Act request, but this request in the Australian uh, you know, form has really confirmed what has been thought all along. So tell me a bit about what was thought and what this confirms for you. Yeah, absolutely. So since December 2021, uh, when the courts in Papua New Guinea um, decided that um, to end the uh, agreement with Australia and when the uh, official agreement that Australia had with Papua New Guinea ended, uh, we have been asking uh, about what circumstances are and what the relationship between Australia and Papua New Guinea is. And we've asked, um, worked with politicians in Parliament through uh, questions and Senate estimates uh, to get to the bottom of it. Uh, We put in a freedom of information request. Uh, At every turn, our requests were blocked. Um, We were not not, uh, um, given the information that we were looking for. Um, So the information that finally came out through questions and notice um, to Parliament uh, last week um, really, uh, like he said, um, showed us what uh, we had already believed was happening. And despite the Australian taxpayer dollars um, flowing to Papua New Guinea to provide support to refugees held, held there, what is still shocking is that there is no accountability for how that money is being spent. And those held in Port Moresby report that their financial allowance is insufficient to buy enough food or other essentials. Um, they now receive fewer medical appointments. They're struggling to get by and, and are deeply, deeply unwell. Uh, many also reporting that they feel unsafe when they're forced to live. Uh, most have been subjected to repeated attacks and robberies, including being mugged at gunpoint. It is so hard to believe what's going on. And this secret deal um, is really um, shocking because it, 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 it exposes um, the, the, the cruelty of the system. Uh, and when something's being held secret in this way, um, you know that it can't be any good. What questions still remain? I mean, we don't know how much money, if it's ongoing. You know, what questions still remain in your mind? 
<laughs> the questions that still remain in terms of the deal, we really want to get to the bottom of, of what the relationship between uh, Australia and Papua New Guinea is. And then another story, the Home Affairs Department oversaw the payment of millions of taxpayer dollars to powerful Pacific Island politicians through a chain of suspect contracts as it sought to maintain controversial offshore asylum seeker processing centres. Again, is this something that was bubbling in the back of your mind or did it come as a complete revelation and shock? We've always known that there's something going on. It is the, the, the news comes as no surprise to us. The allegations are really scandalous and they are uh, really something that needs to be addressed. Uh, what we know is that there's been a lot of money uh, pouring into offshore processing. Uh, we believe over $14 billion over the last 10 years. Uh, but those um, held in offshore processing um, are still reporting that their financial allowance is insufficient to buy enough food or other essentials. Um, they receive fewer medical appointments. Um, and like I said before, they're really struggling um, to um, have their needs met when they're deeply unwell. Uh, there is no safety for them, uh, which which is what makes all of this more difficult to understand. We know there's a lot of money going in, but what's happening to the money, uh, it is really no surprise that um, these allegations are coming forward now. We, we really need a Royal Commission um, into offshore processing as, as, as an uh, immediate next step. What would be the next steps for the Royal, a Royal Commission or how would that be sparked? Yeah, so there's been a call for a Royal Commission over the years. Ultimately, politicians in Canberra have to decide that that's something that they want to support. Um, so it needs to be um, set up by Parliament. The um, terms of reference need to be decided on by Parliament uh, and then it needs to be given um, the autonomy and the powers to, to be able to move forward. Uh, we think... It's going to be a big campaign to try and get to that point. Um, it's been something that the refugee sector has been calling for for, for a long time already. Um, it could be some years away still. Um, I, I believe that while the government um, that is currently in power might in some way be implicated in what's happening in uh, terms of the offshore processing system, um, that a royal commission will remain unlikely. But we are trying to push past that um, and we are trying to make sure that it is established because ultimately um, it's, like I said, the only way that we can get to the bottom of what's really happened. So unlikely or almost impossible that a Royal Commission will happen just because of who's in power and who may be implicated. Is that right? I, I, I think so, but um, in, in the short term. So, But also um, in, when it comes to election cycles, um, it's very likely that we will be moving to another federal election in the next year or so. Um, and as a result, it's unlikely that a Royal Commission, in my view, would happen during a period like that. So most likely happen at the start of a government's term and at a point where the government wants to move forward with a different approach. So the current Labour government uh, has said repeatedly that they are committed to Australia's brutal offshore processing system uh, in the same way that the previous Liberal government was. Uh, I think that makes it really hard then to stand up a Royal Commission uh, given the current makeup of Parliament. 
That's Pacific Waves for today. Don't forget you can listen back on rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the team here at RNZ Pacific, 12.34.